Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope your week is winding down well. Hope you're taking care of yourselves. I've been doing as much self-care as possible. I've been sleeping in. I've been trying to kind of go to bed earlier. Get up at a you know, eight or nine hour point, I need a good eight or nine hours of sleep. And I know that that's like a foundational anchor to the rest of my day in terms of my mood, my energy levels, also my happiness. <clears throat> and uh, that's kind of what I'm leading with these days, all decision making. I'm, I'm saying, how does that feel when I think about scheduling that saying yes to that or participating in that? And if it feels good and it uh, seems like it's aligned with my values and my ethics and I'm happy, I'm down, but I check in with myself. I'm like, how does it make me feel? And if it makes me feel anxious or uncomfortable, I'll pause and I'll say, what is that about? And is that something I want to honor? I no longer just come from the perspective of more is always better or trying to feel like my self-worth and my confidence is tied to how productive or busy I am. Cause that's, that's a false construct and that's always going to kind of fail you and let you down. And so it's really about me making sure I'm living a life that's tied to my full of meaning and just kind of tied to the kind of life I want to I wanna live. And I want my life these days to be really rooted in me kind of doing my work. And so I'm prioritizing my writing and my research and my reading and my rest and my happiness. And everything kind of falls in place around that. Because um, those are my goals, I think, for the rest of the year is I want to make sure I'm getting uh, eight or nine hours of sleep or more really resting and um, just feeling like I'm productive in the ways that are meaningful to me. But the weekend's coming, so make sure you are focusing on the big trifecta, the big three. Make sure you are planning for this weekend every day. Tons of self-care, tons of things that bring you nothing but joy and pleasure, and also tons of rest. And we are canceling the word lazy. It is not lazy to rest, to sleep in, to focus on joy, to delay something, to push it off, um, to give it 75% right? It's good enough. We're going with contentment and good enough. But uh, let's talk about some news. There's never, never, never dull these days. Um, <clears throat> interesting stuff, though. States might have authority to fine or jail people who refuse coronavirus vaccine, says an attorney. And this is interesting because the debate's already begun, right? We don't even have the vaccine available. And people are already debating whether or not they're going to take it and what that will mean. But according to a law professor and the director of the Center for Health Law Policy and Bioethics at the University of San Diego, he says that they could find or jail people who refuse to get the coronavirus. And this is the quote, states can compel vaccinations in more or less intrusive ways, you think? They can limit access to schools or service or jobs if people don't get vaccinated. They could force them to pay a fine or even lock them up in jail. And basically, he says this legal precedent dates back to 1905. 
I mean, I like when they use the word more or less intrusive. You mean hold them down and stick it in them? I'm I'm pro vaccine because again, I think of a more of a collective responsibility and I try to consider, you know, my impact on other people and I don't want to pass along a life-threatening virus. So I'm down for that bad boy. Also, uh, people are moving during the pandemic and here's why they're going. Look, this is no shocker. Uh, sorry, I'm having a little bit of some allergy stuff. So you're going to hear me clear my throat and breathing. I'm a human being. Uh, according to a research published by Hire a Helper, more people are deciding to move during the coronavirus pandemic. I get that. Study found that 15% of all moves, moves were pandemic motivated. 15. It's kind of low. No. So that wasn't actually shocking. This is what was though. In high rent cities like San Francisco, New York, more people were move more people were leaving than moving in. Both cities had 80% more people moving out versus moving in. That I get. I, I can't imagine at this time moving to a city like San Francisco, New York. Both great cities, but um intense. New York as a state had sixty-four percent people leaving than moving in. Man, but in lower rent areas that high jumps like Idaho, an increase ready, ready for this one. God bless Idaho. Increase of 194% more people moving in. New Mexico at 44%. I get it. People want something more laid back, quieter, chiller, more relaxed. They don't want to be, they want something less dense. Because right now to be around higher density and concentrations of people is unsafe and dangerous. So they want to go to states with lower rates of COVID, more sparseness in space, lower rents, higher quality of living, beautiful backdrops. I get it. I'm a city boy. So I like to be close to an urban environment because of all that it provides and the access you have to things. But I do appreciate what that study is pointing out. So yikes, that's real. Also, we're talking about how coronavirus may spread farther than six feet indoors. Of course, right? And this, is, this, this ties into like our concern about going back to school, right? Not all buildings have great ventilation or can allow space, but oh man, doing some tests, they saw that COVID droplets could spread up to 16 feet away from the infected person. And that's usually tied to poor ventilation. So it's a ventilation issue that we have to look into with that. And, and here's the final death blow in this little piece of research. They also found that the particles could be traced in the air for hours after the initial sneeze or cough due to lack of airflow. Yes, there's so many buildings like my clinical practice. The office has no airflow. That's why I'm not in there for a very long time. I appreciate that. It's about safety, folks. But when we see these studies, man, there's some really good ones where they show the visual. They are able to make fluorescent the droplets and you can see how wide and far they spread. It's a little overwhelming. You know, um, people people are at risk. People are Everyone's at risk right now. That's why I'm laughing when I'm seeing some of the loopholes, gray areas, and shortcuts people are trying to take. And I'm like, yeah, it didn't resolve the actual issue. Anyway, question of the night. As always, it's up on our Loveline IG page and the stories weigh in on that. We'll be doing some DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and radio.com have an easy way that you can help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck. And also put food in the mouth of a hungry child and their loved ones. Just $1, it's going to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials and at wearechannelq.com. All right, now let's go to our next guest, Ravi Patel, host and creator of Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I always start by asking people about their mental health. How is yours doing right now? Oh, I, I, get your, I, bet, you, I bet you're getting the best answers ever right now. <laughs> uh, volatile? Uh, you know, inconsistent? <laughs> yep, those are the buzzwords. I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, I got to say, on the one hand, 
the forced uh, dormancy has been really awesome. Uh, being home, spending this much time with the family, um, the hostility happening in the world and the heartbreak and suffering, that's been a little stressful. Um, and I'd say right now, one, one thing that this whole moment in time has really done for me is uh, created a bit of a relapse in terms of all my worst mental tendencies. And so uh, I also feel like, you know, mentally I have work to do in terms of improving my focus and productivity uh, and general awareness. Yeah. Well, no, thank you for the vulnerability. I think that's what's coming up for a lot of people, right? We we don't have access to a lot of the forms of maybe self-care or the buffers or the distractions. And we're kind of yeah. just like left with self. So I yeah. wanted to talk about the pursuit of happiness. I it was, it was either something that came out of that or it was an interview, but I was laughing because somewhere along the lines, it was said that you essentially went from being an investment banker to a quote unquote bad son because apparently in your family, uh, acting in the biz just wasn't really well uh, well received. <laughs> Well, I don't know that it's any parent's dream to take on something that, that that's that likely of leading to suffering. Um, no, it's not that my parent my parents weren't like that stereotypical, uh, you know, unsupportive immigrant family. They were just scared for me. And I think conversely, they were just absolutely shocked that I had this great job, which, by the way, I didn't deserve. I kind of like lied and cheated my way into that job in the first place. Attaboy. Um <laughs> but I didn't belong there. I mean, I was terrible at it. I was not motivated. And, you know, that I really credit that experience to the next phase of my life, which is realizing that I really only operate well when I'm, you know, somehow fulfilled or connected to what I'm doing. Yes. Yes. That 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 is literally the work I do. I think if I had to put everything I do as a therapist into a nutshell, it'd be that help people find lives yeah. that just have meaning and value in them. Yeah. But we're, look, we're that's that's privilege that we even are in that position. You know, most people are just trying to put food on the table. And, you know, I, I know that I'm in the top one percentile just that I get to get some fulfillment out of what I do. And, you know, I, I try to I try to remember uh, that I'm lucky. Yeah. And so let's I guess we'll come back to the four part series. Let's talk about this saves lives. You kind of segue us in. I think that's really beautiful. I'm always advocating for people with any privilege or platform or power to do something meaningful with it. So tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Thanks, man. Uh, this Saves Lives is a snack company that I co-founded with uh, some of my actor friends, Todd Grinnell, Ryan Devlin, Kristen Bell. And really, it, it started out of a shared mission to help alleviate Severe acute malnutrition, which claims the lives of 20 million kids under the age of six every year. A child dies every 10 seconds. But there's some real cutting edge um, uh, malnutrition aid that has been developed. And we were introduced to it through a, a 60 Minutes piece that we saw Anderson Cooper did do. And uh, we wanted to figure out a way to provide more of these meal packets that are prescribed to kids who are days away from potential death. And they take just this packet twice a day for eight to 10 weeks. And more often than not, it brings them back. But they're super expensive. So we had this idea of what if we come out with a healthy snack, a, a healthy granola bar to hopefully alleviate the unhealthy snacking epidemic here in the States. Um, and every time someone buys one of those, we donate uh, a meal packet to a child in need somewhere around the world. And uh, we started that thing out of my apartment in Venice Beach, L.A., uh, probably like, you know, eight years ago. And uh, now we're in every Starbucks in the country. We've donated hundreds of thousands of meal packets, tens of thousands of kids' lives. I've that's been that's huge. Been 
Well done. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd had the bar before. I never was aware that you were involved. I wasn't actually even aware of the full backstory. You know, I'm one of those people where if I if I see a product and I know that money is somehow donated or something's connected to it, I'm always mm -hmm. one of the first people to purchase it, even if I don't need it, because I, I love that value. But I didn't know that was you behind it. Well done. Oh, thanks, man. I mean, look, it's not just me. We We've been very fortunate, so many people along the way who are just like-minded, and honestly, people like yourself, people who are just attracted to the cause, and it's opened so many doors, and we've just had so many so many mentors and friends who have just made connections along the way. It's it's truly been a, an, an incredible group effort, and you know, not to sound cheesy, but it, it's given me way more than I've given it. And let's, let's connect that back to your four-part series, Ravi Patel's Pursuit of Happiness. Um, I know that in your show, you hit a bunch of topics, ones that I work with a lot as well, work-life balance, aging, gender roles, parenting. Is In your, ex, in your um, pursuit of exploring happiness and dissecting it, did you land at all with the idea, not just that meaning's important, but also what you just said about the bars? Are those connected? You mean, did, did, did I land on the idea that uh, the pursuit of happiness itself is something that's worthwhile? Is that what you're Ooh, asking? Well, that's a good one. Let's answer that first. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't I, look, man, I don't really know the answer to that question. I can tell you, you know, I was listening to uh, God, I must sound like such a hippie, but I was listening to Michelle Obama's podcast, the one that just came out and her and Barack were talking about how they wish the one thing they wish they could teach people is how good, how, how selfishly beneficial it is to give. And that's something that I owe you know, to my parents, they've taught me that at a big age, at a young age, the importance of community. And so I know how good it feels to improve the lives of the people around you on a selfish level. It makes me happier. Um, and so I, I've just noticed that like when I'm, when I'm helping put smiles on the faces of like my wife or my daughter or my best friends, we're having fun together. Like that is the thing that gives me the greatest joy in life. So really, this isn't like this isn't a show about a guy who's got like some near midlife existential crisis. It's really just I think something that so many of us are concerned with right now, which is we have so many choices with how we spend every minute of our day and every life decision more than any generation before just because of technology and how connected we are. And it made me yearn for that regularly moving forward. I mean, that's the thing that I'm going to try to carry on with me and also just prioritizing spending time with my family instead of making work fit my life, you know, instead of making life fit my work, I'm trying to, I think this has been an illustration of like, I can kind of make uh, work fit my life 100%. until I run out of money. <laughs> and then you got to flip that balance. But I think that is, and I then think... I'll be like, that was so stupid. Whose idea was this? <laughs> I mean, that's my working definition of mental health, right? Is, is prioritizing the things that are going to kind of nourish us. And although work can sometimes do that, you know, it's not always the case. And like you just said, also community care. I want that to come out of this as well. Um, Ravi Patel, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And also thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, hey, thanks for everything you're doing, man. And thanks, thanks for helping me get the word out. I really appreciate it. Always have a great night. All right, take care. We'll be right back with Bina Venkataraman to talk about optimism and also preparation for the future. All right, now we're going to go to our next guest, Bina Venkataraman, the author of The Optimist Telescope. How are you? Welcome to the show. 
I'm great. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Absolutely. So your your book had a lot of big topics. And what was interesting is they hit a lot of things that I personally have a lot of concern around. And so, you know, re-encountering some of these topics, especially in the time of COVID, for me personally, was an interesting journey. Um, but I want to give you a congrats. Best book of 2019 by NPR. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. It always feels good when you put your work out there and it gets some, some, some good feedback. So what led you to want to write a book like this? Well, part of it was just curiosity about this basic question. You know, I think it's so hard for me in my own life to get ahead of what's coming down the pike, so to speak. So I had the tick bite that I ignored until it became a horrible infection and Lyme disease infection once. Uh, but extrapolating that, I was working on climate change uh, policy in the White House several years ago and found that business leaders and communities had a lot of trouble thinking ahead. And so I sort of just wondered, is this actually something that's impossible in human nature, that we're just cursed to being short-sighted and driven by immediate gratification? Or is there actually a way we can learn to think ahead and to think about the future and value our own future and do right by our future selves? And as I started probing that question over the course of five or more years, visiting people all over the world, talking to poker players, talking to fishermen in rural Mexico, talking to psychologists and archeologists and economists, what I came to find was that, in fact, our ability to think ahead is not ingrained in our nature, that we're able to, through the environments we choose, the norms we choose, the tricks and, and tools that we use, we're able to actually think about the future much more than we might expect. Well, you know, the example you used in the beginning of your book with the tick bite, I, I, I related to that so well. And I think a lot of us do in, in America, right, where it's all about working hard and keeping your eye on the prize. And I think a lot of us struggle sometimes to prioritize self-care. And I know I have a laundry list of my version of things I need to go to the doctor or see an expert about. But we tend to kind of push that aside for some of these uh, more primary needs. So how do we get people to think so far ahead, so far maybe even beyond what their generation will encounter about things like climate change? It's really difficult because our imaginations are required to think about the future. If you think about it, everything that's in your present reality, you can smell it, you can touch it, you can taste it, uh, you can see it. And so you're taking it in with your senses and to actually be able to think about the future means that you're taking an imaginative leap. You are doing something that maybe no other species does, we're not quite sure, which is to conjure the future in your mind. And so it's actually difficult to do that. And I think part of what we have to do is twofold. One is to tune down the noise of the present. So you have a to-do list. Everyone has a to-do list, whether it's literally on paper or in their minds at a day, on a daily basis, things they need to get done right away, things that give them that immediate sense of satisfaction, the incoming messages you're getting on your phone or your email. And you can't actually adequately take account of what's in the interest of your own long-term goals when you're constantly tuned into those short-term goals. So one thing that we need to do and could do in our personal lives, for example, is to carve out times of the day where we ignore some of those short-term goals, short-term responses, maybe at the beginning of your day, take a time, a period of time to work on long-term goals. Choice is such an important way of thinking about the future. So 
a lot of people will kind of say, you know, I can't think about climate change or I can't think about the future. I just can focus on the present. And they have good reasons for that. And part of it is that when they think about the future, they only think about situations that are out of their control. They might think about disasters like storms or sea level rise if they think about climate change. In the current context of COVID-19, they might think, I don't know what the fall is going to look like when there's flu season and I have no control over the political situation. I have no control over whether there's going to be a vaccine. I have no control over how people are behaving in different places uh, or even in my own neighborhood. And, and so their minds can kind of spiral to that sort of the negative future. And I think the idea of choice allows you to look at the future with a clearer sense of what's possible. So I tell people to use a technique called perspective hindsight, which I write about in the Optimist Telescope, which involves imagining scenarios, not just as if the scenario goes horribly wrong. That's one, one approach. And it's necessary if you're the kind of person who's always optimistic, no matter what, it's important to have negative scenarios. But for those of us who are thinking things are really going badly, it's important to imagine what if everything went right? Imagine a scenario a year from now where everything went right. And ask yourself what decisions you can make, what decisions your community can make, what decisions your sort of sphere of influence can affect that can contribute to that positive outcome. So beautifully said, because regardless of what we do, next year is going to happen and arrive. And as you're calling out, we get to decide what next year might get to look like for us and everyone else. And so, you know, make those decisions. Uh, the Optimist Telescope. I just love that title. What a beautiful metaphor. But um, thank you for the book you wrote. It was so inspiring for me. And thank you for being a part of our show. Thank you so much for having me on for a conversation, Chris. Have a beautiful night. You can catch more of Robbie Patel and Bina on I'm Listening, our mental health show that airs every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Radio.com. Alrighty, right. Time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Church condoms because it's a big old sexy world we want you to explore the confidence here we go hey dr chris i have a question how important is it for my kids that i reconcile with my cheating husband to be in the same place at the same time my inclination is to simply tolerate his existence until the final kid leaves the house he's 16 so it's soon right and then completely disassociate from him to the extent that is possible bam well i was honest i i my heart hurts for you. I feel the uh, frustration, disappointment, or anger and resentment in this question. And I think we've all been there. But again, this is why that I could leave that larger message to everyone. Look, leave while things are good. Yes, don't wait till the relationship is literally burning down around you and everyone's miserable to say, all right, we should end this. Leave when things are good if you're realizing it's not the right relationship for you or you've grown apart or you are not compatible or the chemistry is not there or whatever thing has been revealed. But don't ride it out to the end till all the tires have fall fallen off and it's skidding into you know home base. So that's part of being health healthy in a relationship is realizing when it's run its course and there's no shame in realizing that a relationship is not meant to have any more longevity. The quality or health of a relationship or the success of it is not based on the length of time that it exists, but that's what we've done culturally. If it wasn't long-term, sorry, it ended so soon. No, it ended when it was supposed to. They, what, what made you think that this was going to be forever? We don't all grow in synchronized ways aligned forever. That's just not reasonable that three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, that we're always going to be in a place where we are aligned and compatible. That, that just isn't reasonable. And we're living longer and longer. 
And so we have to get familiar with more fluidity with people leaving and entering relationships, sometimes re-entering down the road. There are beautiful stories. See them in my office and in my personal life of people five years later, 10 years later, coming back together and trying it again. It's, it's beautiful. But um, don't burn the relationship down when you leave. Either way, depending on when the timing is, when you leave, leave with love. This is someone you cared about. Like, come on, do your best. I know you're hurt. I know you're sad. But like, pull together. We need to leave kindly so that these kinds of questions don't have to exist. It's not reasonable that everyone has to feel uncomfortable around an ex. So that's why be a good person, leave when you start to see it might not be working and leave lovingly. That That is the way to do this. This shouldn't have to be the scenario. But now I'm gonna pull out the part that they cheated because that's not relevant to your actual question. Your question is, should you reconcile so you can be with your, your partner in the same place at the same time? Whether you cheated or not doesn't really change my answer. Um, but I understand that you're frustrated and that's why I wanted to kind of call that part out, but it's not relevant. And yes, you do, you co-parent. And that is the choice you make. If you are going to have a child with someone, you are committing to being in a relationship with that person, possibly for the rest of your life. Because even though your child might be 18, you're still going to have to encounter at least symbolically this other person when your child talks about visiting them or holidays. And so if you are not mature enough to imagine the ability to be in this person's life, if you've been let down and it ends, then you're not ready to bring a child in. That is a bond that endures. So accept that. Yes, you have to be in this person's life. And I want you to do the psychological work. I'm a therapist. I'm never going to drop the bar down and let people off the hook. So yeah, pull together, be an adult. I'm sorry he hurt you and let you down. Maybe he's not a good person. But yes, you need to be kind and respectful to him. Period. End of story. Even if he didn't have a kid with you, I'd say, I want us to lead with love. This person let you down and hurt you, but that doesn't mean we have to be mean and cruel. That doesn't mean you have to be around him. Um, and so I don't know. I don't know that you need to be with him at the same place at the same time. What would be an example of that? You know, your son or daughter's graduation, if they went to school and are graduating. Okay, but you don't have to be in the same place. You can be far away from them. So I, I would say it's yes and no. You have to find a way to acknowledge that they exist, even if you don't have to see them. And I don't want you triggered every time your child talks about seeing your parent. And I want you to speak lovingly about that parent. And I want you to be supportive of your child having a relationship with that parent still. But no, you don't have to be around them. You don't have to be around anyone you don't want to be necessarily. But if you are, you have to do it with respect. And if you're not ready to, then you're not ready to be around them. And you need to do the self-work until you know that you can be in the same room with them and kind of be calm, chill, and, and relax. But I'm sorry you got hurt. I mean, that's horrible. Shame on him for, of all the choices of a way to deal with whatever issue he was dealing with to cheat on you. That's such a harsh way to handle it. Uh, you know, I want us all to be better. If whatever your need is, bring it forward before you choose to cheat, whatever it is. You are coming from far more love and respect, even if it's going to really upset the person to come forward with that issue to get it solved versus cheating, you know? Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore with confidence. Question of the night. It's coming up later in the show. It's up on our Loveline IG page, so get on over there. Weigh in on that. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back, and uh, let's talk a little bit about hookup culture. You know, this segment I wanted to do because I was out at the grocery store, and I was, you know, doing what I do, not minding my own business. You know, I do that really well sometimes, and often, actually, it's quite the opposite these days. I have my mask, my sunglasses, a hat down. I'm wearing, like, a hoodie, got my earphones in. I don't even want to exist. It's, like, 90 degrees out. I'm kind of like a one-person closed system, but this time... <laughs> earphones out and I was listening to someone and they were just talking about hookup culture. Now, for those that aren't familiar with what that general term means, it, it kind of means the current moment we're in around sex and relationships. It's, it's a particular, um, 
subpopulation of behavior where some people are, are dating and in, you know, monogamous relationships or they're married or they're, or they're single, but hookup culture is that world. That's the intersection of, uh, casual dating, maybe even seriously dating, having sex with individuals, exploring your sexuality, using these apps. Um, but it gets a really bad name all the time. It, you know, hookup culture doesn't inherently imply ethics or lack thereof. It's about the health of the people within that system, right? So healthy people participating in hookup culture are healthy people participating in hookup culture. Unhealthy people make it unhealthy. So that's the key, right? Is have all the sex you want to have. Just make sure it's consensual and also make sure that both people are positively impacted by it and wanting to be there. And all's well. It's no different than any other activity. Yes, it can form to, it can lead to bonds and attachment. It's supposed to and if that happens allow that and work with that and deal with that but there are sexual developmental milestones that is part of psychology social and psychological development and this is part of it and it's okay for people to want to explore their sexuality it's okay for people to want to have a lot of different sexual partners and be with different bodies and have different experiences there's nothing wrong with that uh, but I want to call out that there is no casual sex epidemic when we look at the numbers people are having far less sex than they were before and my god if you look at it exactly right now it's even less COVID has absolutely quieted it down. Is hookup culture still in existence? A hundred percent, but far less than there was before. But people are not having more sexual partners today than they were in the past. That's what the studies are showing. Um, sometimes it's hard to believe, but what the studies specifically on the sex apps have shown is that most people on the apps are not having sex. Uh, those that have never been on have a false sense of what it's like. You don't log on and within minutes find someone and go have sex. Sometimes you can put hours into it in one day and never find a suitable partner, an available partner. And so there's a, it's, you know, it's kind of like, a, it's a lot of window shopping essentially is what it is because there's a complexity to it. You have to find someone who's available, wants what you want, et cetera, et cetera. It's not just like running into 7-Eleven and grabbing something. So most of the people online are actually not having sex or hooking up. They might eventually, but they're not. So every time they're logging on, it doesn't mean that's what's happening. A lot of people are doing it for some fun, for some stimulation, for some distraction, to have conversations. Often these conversations go on for hours and then lead nowhere. So there's no, not necessarily more sex partners and there's not necessarily any kind of epidemic. But the sex phobes, the people that aren't adult or mature around sexuality are horrified at the idea, right? Because that kind of sex scares people and there's no reason for it to. So if you're uncomfortable around hearing about people having, you know, hookups, uh, sit with yourself and say, what about that is scary to me? Why am I uncomfortable? What, what does that say about me? What can I learn about myself? Because these adults are doing what makes sense to them. Why am I feeling the need to judge that? Or why am I uncomfortable around their behavior, right? So again, most people on these apps aren't actually having sex and there's few partners being had than the Gen Xers. And a lot of times this is more about community building. If friendships are built, um, long-term relationships are born out of it. I've been in multiple long-term committed, beautiful relationships that started as a hookup only, which is why I remind people that if you're interested in partnership, you have to try every possible avenue. And that includes sex first. That includes dates only first. It includes everything. You round it out because having sex with someone doesn't mean I'm ruling out the possibility of having long-term committed monogamy with this person or someone else. It just means in this moment, this is what we're interested in, but we're open to seeing where it goes. And like I said, I've been in multiple long-term committed, beautiful relationships where it's meant to be a one night stand sex only. We learned about far more while having sex than we could just over coffee. And we hung out again and again and again, moved in together, fell in love. And one of them even led to an engagement. So don't, don't shame that. Um, now the thing is, is that it does get a little gendered. 
And when we look at the heterosexual cisgendered world, which we don't always have to, but we will in this moment, uh, it leads to men being the ones that have the orgasms every single time, most of the time, and females less often so. Not a shocker. So what I want to say to the men is you're there with another human being. It's called care and empathy. Worry about their pleasure. And also for the female identified embodied people um, or vagina owners, make sure that you are also calling that out and centering that. Your sexuality, your pleasure, your your interest in that moment matters well. So ask for that, right? Um, but I want to remind people that, yes, bring ethics into hookup culture. Sometimes we think that it doesn't exist there. It's just a hookup. It's just a trick. It's just a fling. No, it's not. That's a person. They are impacted by this. They move away from this, this conversation or the hookup, feeling better about the world, better about themselves, better about their body, better about the person they spoke to, or worse off. So it does matter. Don't be rude. Don't, I hate, I, I'm frustrated with the people that say things like, it's just an app, don't take it seriously. No, it's human beings and their psychology that's on the line here and their health. It, do take it seriously. Take all of the interactions you have with people seriously. It's called care and compassion, please. You know, I really want that for people. So please don't, take these certain behaviors and somehow think that it means that these people aren't worth anything because of the vehicle with which we met them or how we found them, right? Um, all right, coming back in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. I want to talk more about online health and sexual health because I think it's something that a lot of us are leaning on right now through COVID. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Right now, children and their families all over Southern California are going to bed hungry. Channel Q and Radio.com have an easy way that you can help feed local students and their families. Text the word NEED to 76278 to give a buck. And also put food in the mouth of a hungry child and their loved ones. Just $1, it's going to make a big difference. Learn more about Feed Our Families on our socials and at WeAreChannelQ.com. All right, we're back and we're continuing what we were talking about in the last segment and it's online use for sex, dating, romance apps. So last Valentine's Day, I was uh, you know, an expert on some show, some morning show, I could not tell you what it was. And what was so fascinating to me is the two um, hosts. The topic was online dating, finding love online and it was around Valentine's Day, like I said. and they entered the conversation from such a bizarre place. It really took me a minute to like go, oh. And they said, so, you know, people are meeting online and there's still a lot of shame about being online and meeting people online. And I thought, oh, really? Because I, I don't experience that. The worlds I live in and the people I work with, people openly talk about and acknowledge being online, not being online. I share openly all the time about having met people online and and I have all my clients doing it. And so I was surprised that, or maybe just reminded or maybe very naive that there are some people that still shame and guilt about acknowledging that they're dating online or met someone online. I don't know. I didn't realize that that still exists. I think it's generational. These were two um, older generation people that I think were probably married and maybe from a time where it wasn't normalized. Their friends, it's not normalized. I'm far younger than them. And in my world and the ones below, the technology is uh, an acceptable, healthy way to do everything. And sex and relationships should be no different. And in fact, they are an enhancer and I'm a big supporter of it. So I was just like really thrown off by that entry point. Uh, it was a little fascinating to me, but um, there that is. So if you have any guilt and shame around being online or going online, don't. All it's saying is that you're a healthy individual. Healthy individuals often, not always, but often want sex and relationships and love and partnership. And to be online is to say that. And there was even times when as therapists, we were told we couldn't be online. Yes, we can. We absolutely should be and can be. We're modeling healthy, appropriate behavior. If something's healthy and appropriate, 
I'm allowed to engage in it. I'm also allowed to do inappropriate things. That's my business. But I'm going to be online if I'm single. I, I'm not. But if I were, I'd be online dating. Absolutely. I'd be online having sex while I'm dating and seeing if I match with anyone. I'd absolutely be part of hookup culture. Not right now because of COVID. I absolutely would not. But if I were single and it wasn't COVID, you better believe I'd be going on dates casually, seriously, having a lot of sex and seeing who I connected with the most through dating and having sex and then deciding if I want a relationship with that person. It takes time, but I explore all options. You know, uh, you never know what's going to lead to where. And if you have the time, the energy, friends with benefits, more casual partners, more serious partners, all of it rounds out life. It's a beautiful thing. It makes life comprehensive and robust. But remember that if we spend more time online, that doesn't mean we're less social. And that's what the studies are also showing. And that's important for some people. It is, they go online, but the work is about recognizing what is online, um, providing, what is it maybe not providing? And is it me avoiding doing the work and doing some psychological bypassing or, is it like right now we're in COVID and we're just thankful that we have these other outlets, you know, ways to kind of connect. But the success of a relationship does not depend on whether or not they met someone online. And really hear that. What the success of a relationship depends on is the two people. The vehicle, whether you met them in line at Starbucks, at the gym, or online, uh, that doesn't determine the health of the people or the relationship. That's just how it came to be, right? It doesn't matter if we met him at a dinner party or while hiking. Like that doesn't differentiate how the relationship's gonna go. So please don't devalue someone's relationship because they met online or please don't think that you can't meet someone great online. I've been online. I'm freaking phenomenal. I've met amazing human beings, the brilliant, amazing people in my private practice, people that want to be great human beings, and that's why they're in therapy. They're dating online. So, so don't knock it. Um, because again, it doesn't matter how you met your significant other. The relationship takes a life of its own after you meet, right? And it's what the people do and who they are that really, really matters. Um, internet dating is, uh, is a positive addition to our world, right? It's generating interactions between people that otherwise wouldn't be able to meet or connect. So it actually increases socialization because think about it. Even right now, normally you only have access to the people you directly know and feel comfortable texting or calling a few people, but online dating gives you this huge span of people that you can meet and connect with that normally you wouldn't cause you don't know them or wouldn't cause maybe you don't go to bars or wouldn't because they live in a town farther away than the coffee shop or gym you go to. And so it gives us a wealth of people to meet and to really explore for compatibility and chemistry. Uh, I don't really know how we pulled it off before when we only had access to the people that we knew through others or were local. It was really hard to find someone you're compatible with. There's so much complexity to the concept of compatibility. Chemistry as well, but chemistry tends to be far easier. We just have to find them attractive and be drawn to them. That's chemistry. But compatibility is that whole piece of what happens when our personalities come together. How do we manage things? Um, how healthy are we psychologically? Like all that shows up, what kind of traumas, our family of origin stuff, like that's all in there. And so it's a numbers game, it takes time. And I, you know, coach a lot of clients around that where they'll say, oh, I'm not meeting anyone. I'll say, okay, it's been only a couple months. It's only been a year. It takes time. We are looking for compatibility is not a simple, easy thing. It, it requires us not only seeing each other and meeting each other, it not only requires sex, it not only requires affection, but to explore that also requires the couple to go through some uh, life events to see how they manage stress, to see how they manage, you know, their moods, to see what happens when they had a rough day at work. Like we have to go through these milestones. And that's why I say you don't enter a relationship. You, you start by dating and then decide through dating for a while, if this is someone you'd want to form a deeper relationship with. And that's why I tell people date multiple people until you're ready or aware of one of them enough that maybe you want to be more serious about them, if even at all, or if they approach you for that. But yeah, we should all be dating 
ongoing, multiple people, just really exploring, really learning. That's how we challenge ourselves. That's how we grow. So seek that, look for that. Don't shame other people. Don't think that someone's not serious about relationship or commitment because they're dating multiple people. In fact, they very much might be, and that is why they're doing that. They don't commit unless they're really sure that this is someone they're interested in. And so take their commitment even more seriously because they really take their time and they're more thoughtful. It's a beautiful thing. So get online right now. There's a lot of people on there looking to engage on all the many different levels that are possible, sexually, by sexting and camming and talking, romance by maybe going on online dates or meeting out in the world with masks six feet apart outdoors, or maybe they just want, they're lonely and just want to talk to someone for a few hours and it'll never go anywhere beyond that, but they were thankful they had that moment with you. Maybe you'll build a friendship. Networks have been built of people on different apps. Um, I was put into a group on Snapchat of a bunch of people sending photos and images, talking about their day. It's great stuff. So, so don't knock the online thing. Just always do it with care and compassion. All right, question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page, so still some time to weigh in on that. And we'll be doing some DMs, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. It's time for question of the night. According to Hershey's chief sales officer, Halloween candy is coming early this year to try to get people excited for the holiday. Yo, I can't tell you. I love Halloween, love horror movies, love candy. I'm all in already. Uh, question tonight is, how do you plan on celebrating Halloween or any holiday this year? Oh, it's a little bit of a womp womp. <laughs> I'm sorry, before I even read the answers, you know, here in LA, we have a gigantic, iconic Halloween festival. It's awesome. Really great live acts, amazing concerts. Um, the costumes too. The, the amount of time that people put into these costumes, group costumes, it's really stunning. It's such a great mix of people on Halloween here in West Hollywood. They shut all the streets down. So that's clearly not going to be happening this year. That'll be the first time and I don't know how long. I know. The disheartening part is I think everyone assumed everything would be better by fall and we're finding out it's actually going to be a really heinous fall. And um, Christmas, you know, what's that going to look like for everyone? Uh, yikes. So question tonight, how do you plan on celebrating Halloween or any holiday this year? Here we go. First person said, we are soon to have our first baby. Halloween's our favorite. Can't wait to share it with him here at home. Oh, okay. So that was really positive spin. I thought it was gonna be a lot of people bummed out. That's adorable. You know, dress up that, dress up that little baby. I don't know a baby that young. I could dress him up, but adorable stuff. That's cute. I like that. How do you plan on celebrating Halloween or any holiday this year? Someone said on my couch with movies and edibles. Yeah, it's gonna be me. <laughs> That's me every night. Where like where am I going? Uh, but I appreciate you saying that. What movies? It's gotta be horror. That's I hope some new ones come out. Fingers crossed. A lot of the things that have been coming out have been pretty good. There's some good ones out there. I'll have to start talking more about the movies I'm watching, the television. I found some good stuff. But um the horror sometimes gets phoned in, you know, especially the supernatural stuff. They just kind of like phone it in. Uh, question night, how do you plan on celebrating Halloween or any holiday this year? Someone said passing out full size Hershey bars because I'm that house. Okay. Well, first off props to you because everyone loves the home that does the full size, right? Love, love those homes. But are people really going to trick or treat this year? Are you, are you really going to be wanting that many people coming to your door and handing out candy? I mean, I guess if you're wearing masks, you can kind of like throw it to them. I mean, I don't know. Interesting to see. I hate seeing a holiday just go unaddressed like that, though. Uh, someone else said, uh, how are they going to celebrate Halloween or any holiday this year? With my boo, bacon and cooking. Also, fam, social distancing. Aw, my boo's in Canada, so we're not going to be baking and cooking. But I love that. 
I got to get into baking. I really do. Every now and then I put on my social media, on my IG, in the story, little spurts of times when I'm, you know, getting to the baking. But generally, uh, all y'all with the bread. Question tonight, how do you plan on celebrating Halloween or any holiday this year? Someone said, deciding whether to let my kids go trick-or-treating this year. We still haven't decided. I know. I feel like there could be safe ways to do it, but I don't know that I trust that everyone will follow that and all will be okay, right? Because our safety is determined by the safety and choices of everyone else around us. So do you want a bag full of candy that's come from a multitude of different homes? You know, do you want to be opening the door to a multitude of different people? I mean, that's the thing, right? Just leaving the candy outside, letting them come up and grab it. I don't, it's still something, right? But I don't know if it's as, I don't know. There's something fun about opening the door and seeing the costumes, right? Question tonight, uh, how do you plan on celebrating Halloween or any holiday this year? Someone said here in the OC, they just announced a drive through Halloween maze. So I'm definitely going to be checking that out. Me too. Thank you for telling me about that. The OC is not close, but it's not far either. And I'm all about the Halloween maze, especially if that's the only way I'm going to get to celebrate Halloween. Thank you for that. I didn't realize that that was a thing, but I guess it is now, right? Cool. I'm into it. Uh, question of the night. This one says, uh, probably taking a little vacation. It's kind of sad to be in a city with no Halloween decorations. This is the first holiday I don't think people will celebrate. I feel the same way maybe about Thanksgiving and Christmas though. Like are people going to be getting together with chosen family and birth family? Is that, I mean, it's not safe. So let me answer that for you. Please don't. It's not safe to celebrate the holidays, to have multiple people coming together from different homes, having multiple people over. I know it's heartbreaking. It's just not safe. That's such a risk. Um, Halloween especially though. I'm really curious though to see the loopholes around it. I don't know. It makes me very anxious. Um, because that's not far from now and we're not doing well at the numbers. And again, as I was talking about in the earlier segment, we, we're we worried about what's gonna happen this fall. Other common colds are gonna be popping up too, you know? So, I, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, that's deeper in. It's heartbreaking. That's the thing though, if we, if we really do what we need to do now, that gives us a better hope of having a better Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas for those that celebrate. I, I keep dropping Thanksgiving in there. Um, Indigenous People's Day is what it truly is about. Ugh. Um, but yeah, everything we do now, the choices we make, the ways we're willing to be limited or put out are what are going to give us the best chance to be able to participate in the holidays we want that are coming up. So please consider that. Better be worth it, you know? All right, coming up next, slide into those DMs. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. Been listening to your show for a while now, and I really appreciate you. Thank you. You talk about people in monogamous relationships, and I'm one of those people, but I think that my girlfriend wants to try other things. I'm all for it. I understand. But I'm afraid if I allow her to do that, I'll never get her back. What can I do? Or how do I need to reassess my thinking? I know I'm being selfish, but I really think she's the love of my life. Well, that's adorable. And congratulations. It's very beautiful to find a human being that you can say such things about the love of my life. You know, listen, it's none of these things are 100% promise, solid, ongoing, unchangeable, meaning our needs and desires are going to shift and change throughout our lifespan and the time we're in a relationship. And that's healthy, right? And so know that to say right now you're comfortable and feeling strong enough to open the doors and try something non-monogamous 
that doesn't mean that that's something you have to commit to forever. We do have the ability to set up boundaries. The fact that she was able to give you monogamy and keep it thus far is a sign that she's able to do that. So she came from non-monogamy to monogamy, and so she knows how to do that. And so if you guys open up and go to non-monogamy, she's already shown she knows how to go, go back to being monogamous. That's just the lifespan of anyone who's a serial monogamist is they know how to go from non-monogamy to monogamy, right? So she did that with you. And you know, having a secure, loving relationship is the is one of the best foundations from which to open up because you know that you can tolerate and have the resilience. Couples that have a lot of conflict or are very fragile, they're not able to tolerate what non-monogamy can bring in. It brings in complexity, but so does everything. Um, and you just be 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 willing and ready to talk openly about your feelings and hers as it's happening. It's okay to say, let's try it, and then we'll check in. Um, it's okay to weigh in on how it felt, what you might want to be different so you feel safe, you know? And the use of the word allow is interesting because, you know, you don't allow anyone to do anything. She is choosing to be monogamous. She can choose to not be uh, as long as she just lets you know that she's made that change. But uh, you, might, you might want to use the word support. You're, you're scared to support her in making that decision if that's what she decides. And um, you want to be a good boyfriend and say, listen, I'm here for your best interest. That's love. We talked about that in an earlier segment. Love is I'm here for your development. I support your growth. I support you happy. I support you doing what you need to do, even if it's to my detriment. That can be a huge part of love. Um, and this doesn't have to be to your detriment, and nor would it be or should be, right? When done right from a place of love and communication, all's well. And in fact, you've communicated to her, that's how much I care about you, right? Um, let me know. We'll keep talking about it. Here's another one. Uh, Dear Dr. Chris, uh, I'm in a relationship that's abusive, both physical and emotional. He has called 800 numbers with women masturbating. We've gotten into physical fights. I've sent us to the hospital. I'm just going to stop there. Um, the relationship's over. You have to exit. Because I, I saw at the end of the question, it said, can we fix this? No. The minute a relationship becomes physical and you've claimed it's physical on both ends, you towards them, them towards you, the relationship needs to stop and we need to take a break and work on ourselves. I would never support someone staying in a physically abusive relationship or going back to one. So emotional abuse tends to be um, equally as damaging and that's in there as well. But that's something that I'm more comfortable people sitting down and saying, listen, I need to call out the emotional abuse I've been acting out on you and I'm going to let you know what I'm going to do to be different. And I need to call out what you've been doing. And as long as we both truly address this, we stay. But if not, we exit. But physical abuse, bam, you go. You say, listen, we're both physically abusive. And so you you acknowledge that you do it. So let's start there. So you say to your partner, I'm removing myself and the relationship is over because I can't allow myself to abuse another person. Oh, and also you're abusive to me, but I have to start with myself first. And so I'm going to exit and I'll work on myself. And once I feel like I have better coping skills, I'll reenter the world and try to find someone I'm compatible with. Because it might be, I don't know what it's about, but I just want to acknowledge that we don't work on physically abusive relationships. Listen, if a couple came to my office that we want to work on it, I will, I'll help them. But there's a, there's a separation unless they can both commit to stopping the physicality. But if they can't and they don't, then they have to separate because I won't help support or hold a container for an abusive relationship physically, right? So we're just gonna kind of call it quits with that one. Uh, Sign the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore the confidence. That's our show. We'll be back on Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific. That's 10 p.m. Eastern. We are Channel Q. You can go there, check out all the past episodes of Loveline, and check out I'm Listening Live on all the radio.com handles. You guys have an awesome weekend. Center it, please. Self-care, pleasure, and rest. 
As always, thanks for hanging out. You have a beautiful, beautiful night.